Hi, everybody. Welcome to the sixth episode of Season 2 of North Coast Chronicles podcast, Tales from the Great Lakes. I'm your host, Helen Broll. Please join me every month on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, ASPN, as we share the nature, history, folklore, and charm of the Great Lakes, America's fourth seacoast. Be sure to check out the entire collection of podcasts on ASPN related to our oceans, coasts, and inland seas at CoastalNewsToday.com. If you like North Coast Chronicles, please share it with your friends and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is The Water Walker, The Life and Inspiration of Josephine Mundaman. And here to share the amazing story is Siobhan Marks. Miss Marks is the Communications and Marketing Director of the Indian Community School in Franklin, Wisconsin. But Siobhan is also an extraordinary narrator of the life and legacy of Josephine Mundaman. We're honored to have you join us today, Siobhan. Miigwech. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. And with us, as always, is our trusty engineer and my talented co-producer, Tyler Buckingham. So, hey, Tyler, what's going through your mind these days? Well, Helen, it's uh, always good to be here on North Coast Chronicles, and I have uh, a few things on my mind that I'm excited to share with you. Go for it. Well, the first thing is I, I, I want to just ask you some questions. That's what I'm going to be doing here. But uh, uh, my first question is, uh, what's going on with offshore wind on the Great Lakes? You know, I, I've been following along uh, here out in California. We just had our first uh, lease sale for offshore wind. The Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, BOEM, uh, just completed a, a big lease sale for offshore wind. And I, I've been following along all around the American shoreline. There's a lot of offshore wind. Helen, is there going to be offshore wind in the Great Lakes? <laughs> yes, um, there is. And I have to say, I don't know a lot, a lot about it, but Cleveland in particular, um, I think, is planning uh, or is in the process of doing some wind uh, development. Um, and um, um, But I have to be honest, that's the extent of what I know. Most of what I'm doing in offshore wind development is on the Northeast Coast and all the you know, the vineyard wind and the other um, activities going on there. So, but I, I appreciate the question and maybe we got to look into it a little bit more. Well, I'm, I'm very curious to see because, you know, there's a long history as, as we've covered on this very show, Helen, there's a long history <laughs> of industrial use of the Great Lakes. And I wonder if oh. we might be entering a new chapter of that into the future, but that's not all I've got for you, Helen, because uh, you asked me, you said, what's on my mind? And, uh, I've, I've been listening to this song, New York State of Mind, recently. It's a Billy Joel tune about going up the Hudson and thinking about New York City. Really? And I, I, I was, is there a Great Lakes kind of crooner type of tune? And I, I you know, I, I, I like music. And I know there's that classic Frank Sinatra, Chicago, Chicago tune, that toddling town. But my question for you is, do you have a, a kind of a Great Lakes themed uh, New York State of Mind type of tune that you know of? Um, so, um, it's not hang on, you know, Snoopy, Snoopy, hang on. Um, what's the joke? That's the Ohio State University song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, well, I cannot believe you're asking me this question because January of last year, who did we have on our podcast and what songs did they sing? Well, I, I, of course, remember the Great Lakes song. Oh, okay. Well, that would be the song. It's a great song. And, uh, everyone should go out and listen to that episode one more time. Cause it is a great folksy tune. But if you are, a, if you're a songwriter out there and you do more of a crooning style, I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear some kind of, uh, Billy Joel style, New York state of mind for the great lakes, I think would be perfect. Okay. And one final thing, Helen, that's on my mind <laughs> yes, is a Tyler. big, a big congratulations to the woman aquatic networks, woman of the year, Helen, congratulations on that oh. well-deserved award. Thank you so much. It's a real honor. And uh, geez, golly, thank you for, for even saying that. That's, um, yeah, we had a, they had a big uh, ceremony last Monday. It was their holiday party, the first in-person holiday party in a long time. And uh, the Women's Aquatic Network named me their Woman of the Year. It's really pretty blown away by it. And uh, the reception I received was just so heartwarming. And um, it gave me an opportunity to share a little bit about um, how, um, I mean, I'm a co-founder, but I wanted to really share what it meant to me to work with the other two women, uh, Becky Roots and Susan Wade, um, in, in the early days. And what were we thinking about 37 years ago um, when we established just this women's networking organization? Um, uh, and and who would have thought, really, 37 years later, it would have been there and there's this room full of people and just amazing, smart, capable uh, men and women and um, and men and women and others is basically how we described it because it's a very welcoming 
open organization. And anyway, I, I, I digress, but it was um, lovely. Thank you for saying that. It was a, quite an honor. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Let me just jump back to the last uh, episode. Um, we really enjoyed a relaxed and informative conversation with Craig Middlebrook. And Craig just retired as the Deputy Administrator of the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway Development Corporation, which is part of the Department of Transportation. And um, I'm fascinated with how a person finds their calling in life. And when Craig said he started out to be in banking and then who discovered he didn't like banking, I thought of so many of us who realized they need to find a different calling. And for me, it was being a geologist. Um, did it ring true for you, Tyler? Or really did your experience working with Ken Burns and getting into that kind of, you know, business kind of reinforce your, that your talents were in the right place? Or how did you respond to that or feel about that? It felt very familiar for me because I kind of meandered into my career. Uh, but, you know, I, I all things being said, I do think I found my home, just like Craig. And uh, yeah, I think that that's kind of the way it goes, at least for me, from a career perspective, Helen, you're the you're the woman of the year. What what do you think? <laughs> so funny. Uh, well, I, uh, I, I think it was great that Craig found his calling. And when he retired after 27 years, he could reflect upon it, um, not just positively, but with great um, pride. Um, and um, as I've hinted, I don't know if I said it out right on the podcast, but I'm retiring soon. And it you, you do tend to think about, you know, your years and what you did and did you do it right and what could I have done better differently? And I really um, responded to his sense of of. Of, of that he felt um, achievement, right? Um, he didn't get famous, right, or get rich, but he felt very proud of the work that he had done. Um, and he shared, you know, everything about the seaway and the importance of the shipping lifeline to the Great Lakes and all the work he did to make it safer, you know, and better um, and more environmental, environmentally sound. I, I, I was very touched by that. I, I just enjoyed the conversation immensely. He was, a, he's a great guy, and I. I just like the conversation. I did too. This episode of North Coast Chronicles is sponsored by the Lake Express, Lake Michigan's high-speed ferry. Since 2004, the Lake Express has provided a time-saving shortcut across Lake Michigan between Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Muskegon, Michigan, connecting highways on both sides and providing stress-free relief from the hassles and stress of driving through Chicago. Offering modern comfort and amenities and spectacular Great Lakes views, Travelers both save time and enjoy a one-of-a-kind experience as they cross between the beaches and coastal charm of West Michigan and the friendly big city of Milwaukee. Their drive-on, drive-off car deck ensures that you're on your way as soon as you arrive, saving you even more time to enjoy your destination. Now celebrating their 20th season of high-speed Lake Michigan ferry service in 2023. For more information or to book your trip today, visit www.lake-express.com. I'm going to give a, a little short plug to another podcast that we did in the past. That was the one we did a year ago on the Christmas tree ship of Chicago. And it featured Dr. Ted Karamansky from the Loyola University, Chicago, and Captain Scott Smith, who was or was one of the previous captains of the U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Mackinac. And it was fun learning about the history and legends surrounding the Chicago Christmas tree ship, and in particular, about the Rouse Simmons, the last of the Christmas tree ships. And Captain Smith described what it was like to be captain of the largest icebreaker in the Great Lakes, the Mackinac, and how that ship has kept the Christmas tree ship tradition alive. I thought it was just a lovely story, and I just wanted to give it another shout out um, for those who may want to go back and listen to it this month in particular. You know, there is a, a lovely children's book. It's called The Water Walker. And it is the story of a determined Ojibwe grandmother, Joseph Mundaman, and a great love for Nebe, which is Ojibwe for water. And Grandmother Josephine walks to raise awareness of our need to protect Nebe for future generations and for all life on the planet. She, along with other women, men, and youth, have walked around the Great Lakes from the four salt waters or the oceans to Lake Superior. And as I read about this book, uh, I think in many respects, it's about the sharing of the challenges that she encountered. And by her example, Josephine invites us to all take up our responsibility to protect our water, the giver of life, and to protect our planet for all generations. It is something we do talk about on this podcast fairly often. And this book was illustrated and written by Joanne Robertson, who worked with Josephine to share her story. Our guest today, Siobhan Marks, also knew Josephine Mundaman. 
If I may, so bold is to say ani, ania, anin, <laughs> poorly, so Siobhan, or, or hello, and we're so glad to have you here. Thank you for joining the podcast. Ah, anin, buju. If I could introduce myself in what we call our sacred language, Ojibwe Moen, I'd really appreciate that. Boju Zigwa Nodanans Indijnakaz Migizi and Odem Odawa Zayagani Ojibwe Anishinaabe Kwe Indaw Menomini Zayagani and Dojaba Neju Medeo. So I just gave you my Anishinaabe name, which is Zigwa Nodanans. Uh, that name was given to me in the Three Fires Medewin Lodge, of which our beloved Grandma Josephine Abun was a very much cherished grandmother of. My name means the warm breeze of spring, and I'm Eagle Clan. Grandma Josephine, her Anishinaabe name is Badasage Abun, and she was Fish Clan, specifically Bullhead. And I'm very pleased to be here to do my best to tell grandma's story, especially as the water walker and um, great inspiration to all Anishinaabe Kwe, meaning uh, women who are uh, the original people of this earth. Thank you. It, I'm just so excited to get into the story um, and and um, really the tradition and um the impact it had, um, perhaps on you and so many others, um, and the example it sets for us, frankly. Um, before we talk about Miss um, Josephine, could you share just a little bit more about the Anishinaabe and um, the association to the Ojibwe or Chippewa, um, just to give people a point, because many of us from the Great Lakes do, you know, hear about the name Chippewa or Ojibwe or others. Um, and Anishinaabe is is clearly um, your people. Do you mind sharing a little bit with us before we talk about Miss Josephine? Sure. Anishinaabe and Ojibwe are often used interchangeably, at least in, in our ways or thinking about our people. Anishinaabe means the original people. If you go to other tribal communities, they will have their name, which is for the uh, the original people, meaning the original people of this part of creation. Because in our creation stories, we were placed here by the Creator. So I am Ojibwe, and that's how it's pronounced. Um, we also picked up a word along the way, and it was actually the French who gave it to us, and that's where you hear the Chippewa. And um, so while many of our tribes even have the name Chippewa in them, my own, I'm a descendant of the Lakutare Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. There are many in our Anishinaabe, which is also Ojibwe communities, um, that will look at that, that name Chippewa and think, well, that's what the French called us, but in our language, this is how we refer to ourselves. Thank you. I, I appreciate you taking time to do that because um, I think we do not take enough time to understand um, the, the tribes of our nation and certainly even within the Great Lakes, extraordinary history. So thank you for that. Now, Josephine Mandaman um, was born in Manitoulin Island, and we have talked about islands of the Great Lakes um, in a past episode. Um, when was she born? And um, tell us a little bit about how she became the water walker. And I know there's a lot of steps in between that. Well, Grandma Josephine Bunn was born in 1942, and she actually shared her birth story with us. Uh, she was born uh, in the winter. It was very, very cold. And when she um, came out to take her first breath, her first breath of life, she entered this world in a cloud of steam. And it was such a precursor for the amazing work that she would do. Because as we all know, steam is really water. It's vaporized, right? So that's part of her birth story. And her grandmother would often recount her birth story to her. And so she shared that with all of us as well. Uh, she came into you know, her work as the water walker. That was a name that was given to her because of the work that she was doing. But she came into that, I can't say by accident, um, because uh, definitely what it, I think it was always going to be her calling. She was um, with many other Anishinaabe and other tribal 
people at a Sundance ceremony. Our Grand Chief of our Three Fires Medewin Lodge, um, who has since passed, as well as Grandma Josephine. His name is Badwewedan Benesi Abun. And he was there along with other spiritual leaders from other tribal nations. And they were talking about the prophecies, and especially with regard to water. And a prophecy was shared that if we continued on in our negligent ways with regard to our water, that in time, and it was a time coming very soon, and some believe it's the year 2030, and many of us believe it's already happened, but that an ounce of pure, clean, drinkable water would cost as much as an ounce of gold. I've also heard that prophecy expressed as an ounce of pure, clean drinking water would cost as much as an ounce of um, petrol or fuel. And if you think about you know, what runs this world in terms of machinery and industry, it is definitely um, that fluid that we uh, take out of Mother Earth to run our cars and our machines. And so she, she heard that prophecy, and she really thought about it. But our grand chief and another elder, they looked at the women, and, and they looked at the women with this question, and it's because it is part of our, our beliefs, our value systems, our teachings, that as women, we are the caretakers and protectors of our water. So they looked to the women and they said, what are you going to do about it? And Grandma Josephine Abun, she felt like they were talking directly to her, and she felt personally very responsible. So she left that Sundance gathering, went back home. So she was born in Manitoulin Island, but she made her home along with um, her husband, Andrew, who I refer to as grandfather, in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And she thought, what can I do? She was not a woman of um, great status at that time. She really didn't have um, money. She was retired. She was already elderly. Um, she didn't have, um, at the time, the really social media really wasn't that big of a thing. It was just starting. She didn't have any sponsorships or grants or affiliations with uh politicians or uh, big name celebrities, anyone to really help her. She just had her own heart and mind and prayer. And so she prayed on it a lot. She invited other women to conversations and sat around her kitchen table and they talked about it as women. What can we do? What can we do? And she and her sister, who's Grandma Melvina, these are women well into their 60s, decided that the thing that they could do was to walk and pray for that water. And our fresh water, when I say that water, Nebe, in our Great Lakes, that's what they set out to do. And they had $10 between the two of them. They had a vehicle and they used a copper pail. And there's a whole story as to why is copper, as I'm talking to you, I have a copper vessel here with water that I've been sipping all along. We use that in our water ceremonies in our um, midday when lodge as well, but they started out with that copper pail of water, $10 in their pocket, and they would take turns, one grandma walking, one driving very carefully behind, and then when grandma walking would get tired, she would hand off that copper pail to the other grandma, and every time they handed off that copper pail, the words, I do this for the water, was said in the language, and um, that has carried through to today to water walks. So I'm just going to stop there and just make sure that you've been able to uh, stay along with me and see if you have any questions about what I've been saying. Thank you for that story and um, background. Um, she sounds like an extraordinary person, um, Grandma Josephine, and I'm struck by the extraordinariness of turning to the women and saying, what are you going to do about it? And and the women not hesitating at all and understanding that, well, yes, because women, you know, give birth. Women make these decisions and women can, can um, you know, can take it on, even if it was this simple part of, inv of looking into her heart and mind 
and praying on it. And the result was something actually quite simple and yet so profound. Grandma Josephine Bon and her sister, who were well into their 60s when they began um, this, this prayer for the water, which also includes picking up the water, putting it, scooping it up in a, in a copper vessel. And with that, there's a prayer that goes along with that, and a sema, meaning our sacred tobacco. So this is not the tobacco and cigarettes or pipes. Um, you know, we do have pipes in our medicine lodges that are very important. We do use a sema in them, but this is not commercial tobacco by any means as we know it. It is the most um, sacred of all of our medicines that we use. That's our medium to speak to the Creator. But um, taking up this water in a copper vessel putting that asema down, telling that water and the Creator what it is, our intentions. Everything we do is very intentional. And carrying that water because the water carries us all through life. We are literally born of water. We, Every single one of us entered this life, this world, in gestation, in our mother's wombs, in a body of water. And we all know that water is life. It is absolutely essential to life. And so it is absolutely critical. It is water has a spirit. Um, it is has a female spirit in our teachings. Now that may not be the teachings of other tribal nations, but in ours, it she is a female spirit. And she is alive and she hears us and she can feel us. And so when that water, that vessel of water is handed off to the next woman in those words, I do this for the water. That simple, seemingly simple gesture, which had carries so much meaning. When we say that in the language, is how that is said. Um, that is also a reminder to us and our commitment to that beautiful water, that this is what I am doing for this water. It isn't about my status or being on a podcast or being in a, in a newspaper article or being even first or walking the longest or walking the fastest. It is really our intention and our prayers are for this water. And it's a selfless, beautiful spiritual act um, that she began by doing this simple walk, her and her sister Melvina, who we call Grandma Melvina. You know, if I'm swimming in the lake, and I'm from Lake Erie area, and if you're swimming in the lake and you really pay attention and be present, you can almost believe, you can, well, almost believe, you can believe that the water is alive and that it hears and feels you. I certainly feel um, and, and you know, lifted up when you do go and visit, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Now, you know, these these women... You said they had $10 and a vehicle and a copper pail, basically. Where did they start and where did they go to and how did they survive in between? Well, they started walking around Lake Superior and uh, it, that's amazing because they also started, um, it was not long before winter began. So it was very um, daunting. And Lake Superior is called Lake Superior for a reason. Um, it, she is very very deep, very powerful water there. So as they began walking and doing what they could, um, winter started to set in and it became too difficult for them to continue. So they realized in their humanness that it was time to stop. And that too has carried over to our water walks where we are um, very careful to make sure that um, we are paying attention and that we are protecting our, our walkers. And we even have the saying um, that our Grand Chief would often remind us of, which is, the spirit cannot protect us from our own stupidity. So there's a time and a place to do this, and wintertime is not that place. So they took a rest, and they went back home, and they continued to pray and think about it. And when Mother Earth started to give up her beautiful white blanket of winter and thaw, and life began to come back in terms, I should say, new life. They started walking again, and people had heard about it and started to join them. And then more people heard about it and started to join them. And uh, it became, became uh, a, a beautiful 
um, more of a community kind of based um, endeavor where people from all walks of life were actually starting to join them. So in our Medewan Lodge, of which both grandmas are, are members of, of course, we rallied around our grandmothers and we were joining the walks with them as well and trying to educate others as we went along, trying to raise awareness of the really selfless, um, pure act of walking and prayer for the water. Men also joined as well, yes? Yes, they do. And some of that, those teachings and direction actually came through a man, and that would be our Grand Chief, Badwebuddin Benesia Bun. And so the men accompany uh, the women in walking for the water. And so much of this, everything we do is really based in our Anishinaabe teachings. So in life, there is balance. That's an inherent part of our teachings. So there are often male and female. It's just part of creation. There are male roles and female roles. As women, we're the caregivers and protectors of that water. And as the men, they are the caregivers and protectors of us. And so the men will walk, a man will walk with an eagle staff next to a woman who's carrying the copper vessel of the water. And they walk together. It is, again, symbolizing that, that balance, that duality um, that is part of our teachings. And together they walk, and then men and women are walking behind them. And when it's time to trade off either the eagle staff or the pail of water, those words, again, are repeated over and over again. I do this for the water. The men say it just as the women say it. So um, as they walked, you said you know, the communities rallied around them. And, and, and um, as they went, they, others gave them care, correct, and shelter and food? Absolutely. Uh, people would run up and say, do you need anything? Can we bring you food? Um, can we make a lunch for you, a meal for you? How about tonight? Do you have lodging tonight? You can stay at my house. We'll have supper made for you. Uh, it was just an incredible outpouring of love. And I think it was so inspirational uh, for people because it was that reminder of the power of one. We tend to feel like everything is overwhelming unless you're a big corporation or have all this money or status that there's so little that can be done against that that destroyer that machine uh, that threatens our, our beautiful mother earth and her lifeblood the water but this was a reminder that you can do something as an individual and it's something as simple as supporting this water walk and in prayer, because it is definitely a spiritual act, water is a spirit, and we absolutely believe in the power of prayer, but to give of our time and our love and our effort. And then all of those prayers and all of those hearts and minds that are carrying that water because she carries us. At the end of that water walk, that vessel of water is carrying all of that. And when it's released back into the lake, it's just a very magical moment. You can literally see and feel the presence of all of that healing that goes back into the water. And then we also let her know that we have not forgotten our ways, that we do love you, we do thank you, we respect you, and we are willing to go to these um, these means to stand up for you. Uh, I love the the story of a, of the power of one. It is so true, and it's important for people to know because you don't want to be held back because you think, I'm just one person. And we had a podcast that I found also profound because we interviewed three um, conservationists and uh, conservation heroes, we called them, and each one individually began with this with the passion to make a difference. And each one of them in their own way in different parts of the Great Lakes are making huge changes, protecting the land, preserving the coastline, um, working to preserve it for future generations. And the power of, you know, the three powers of one um, together, and, and I know there's more of those people around, 
um, it, it, it makes you feel so good because, you know, they are truly preserving for future generations. And so the power of one is extraordinary. Um, Siobhan, did you join, you, you said that you joined the walk at some point as well, or one of the walks? I did. Um, I started out um, helping on the communications end, being that I am a communications marketing professional and helped in terms of coordinating the walks. Um, as the walks became bigger and um, like to go around the Great Lakes, I mean, that's five lakes, that's an ambitious um, walk. There was also a four direction water walk. You need a network of people that are helping and coordinating because again, we want to be careful and very intentional and make sure that our water walkers are cared for and protected and have what they need so that they can do their spiritual work, which is walking and praying for that water. So yes, I, I got to learn right directly from Grandma Josephine Bunn. It was amazing. I got to go on um, many water walks with her. I. Um, it, it was absolutely the opportunity um, of a lifetime to learn directly from her, as, as did many other Anishinaabekwe like myself. But yes, I walked with her from start to finish on water walks. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience. Are they still going on today? Sure. Water walks happen all over the world because of people like Grandma Josephine Bon, her sister Melvina, and Badwebuddin Benesi Aban. Um, again, in that story of duality, the importance of duality in Anishinaabe culture, it is that male-female. And so it was our grand chief who was among those spiritual leaders at that Sundance ceremony that shared that prophecy and asked the question, what are you going to do about it? And then when she and Grandma Melvin in their, Melvina in their response started the water walk, he also came in and helped them really complete what that could feel and look like and spiritually represent. And then um, as whole lodge members, we, we all walked with them, men and women, and welcomed everyone from all walks of life, all different spiritualities and beliefs to be a part of it if they would like to be a part of it. So that first walk, or I mean, perhaps in that springtime when they began again and began um, around Lake Superior, did they end up in Quebec? Is that in the end what the goal was, is to walk the entire Great Lakes? When we walk, do a water walk, we go around the body of water. So where we start is typically where we end. <laughs> I, I can't think of any instance where that was not the case. And that, um, again, is very much part of our Anishinaabe teachings, where we go around things. Um, I, ho I hope it's not offensive, but when I use the term dominant culture, really what I'm saying is society. Is society, we tend to um, do diagonals and straights. It's very linear. You know, it's like, how do we get from point A to point B and follow these lines and grids and steps? And ours is um, we follow the ways of, of nature of the natural order of the world. So we are going around the body of water because as we're praying for her, we're visiting all of her places and all of the life that is dependent on this body of water. So we end where we begin. I, I, I get it. <laughs> it's, it's a funny question because I did ask in a linear way, but you started on one side, one end, and you must have gone to the other end and that's it. But no, <laughs> it is full circle. I'm a believer in full circle. There's a certain um, sense of calm and completion. Um, could you talk a little bit um, about the um, uh, Anishinaabe um, migration? And this is talking a little bit about the ancient times. Um, because I think, to me, it also inspires the whole um, sense of, of the waters, where you started, and where you migrated to, because I think it's so much more than just a, you know, moving from one place to another. It is often um, referred to as the Ojibwe migration, but again, we interchangeably use those terms Anishinaabe um, Ojibwe. Uh, there was a prophecy that said that there was um, something coming and uh, it would be of danger and that we needed as a people to move. We were sea coastal 
east side Atlantic Ocean, that we needed to go west. And we would know where we were supposed to be when we found the food that grows on the water. And so it's my understanding that that was literally millions of Ojibwe uh, people, the Anishinaabek, uh, moving. And that it took, again, um, you know, it's hard to pinpoint it, but up to 500 years to really make that migration complete. Because as you can imagine, you know, there's seasonal things that happen and we have to live as we're going. So we're planting, we're harvesting, we're hunting, we're gathering, we're having babies, we're, you know, as we're moving and we're not even moving as one giant nation, we're moving in kind of in clusters. So some would stop and settle along the way and others would keep moving and then others might pick up and start moving along the way. But the food that grows on the water is in the Great Lakes. And all of those beautiful um, inlet lakes and streams that feed into the Great Lakes. And that is why the Anishinaabe are so concentrated here in the Great Lakes as are other nations. But that is what we were looking for. And of course, the danger that was coming um, was the Europeans coming over on ships that just changed the really everything um, for the original people of this land. What does uh, Anishinaabe mean? It means um, the people, and in our terms, the original people of this land, or this part of creation. Siobhan, most of us folks whose families were from Europe or other parts outside of this country and the, or the, the continent really don't know a lot about the tribes of the Great Lakes, of which there's many, and the history um, and the and your lives. Why is that, or how can we do something about that? It's really understandable that people do not understand or feel like they have uh, misinformation about who Native Americans are because we weren't taught the truth when we were going to school textbooks since probably the moment that they began being published for public and private school systems were grossly inaccurate. And we were terribly unrepresented, underrepresented. And so it's only been in the more recent years that we're really, the education system is really trying to um, come to grips with that, update those materials, and learn the truth about the original people of this land and what really happened to us through European contact and assimilation, boarding schools, and where we are today. There are many people that believe that there are no more Native Americans. They, they're so astonished when they come across someone who's Native American. And then, of course, you get the stereotypical questions such as, do you live in a teepee? Um, were you born in a wigwam? And I always say, I wish. That would be really nice, actually. Um, I was not born in a wigwam. I was born in a hospital. Um, but that is, you know, the education system is starting to catch up. And it's really great to see that, that you can go to uh, libraries and into schools, and we can find books and textbooks and histories that are far more accurate. There's still a lot of work to be done, a lot of work, but it is beginning and it's encouraging. I have to say there is a lot of really great information online about tribes of the Great Lakes specifically. Um, and the Milwaukee Library has just great information. I just have to give it a shout out. But, you know, in Canada, um, just in Ontario region alone, Right now, there's more than 75 bands of First Nations reported. That's today, 75. And, um, and over the course of history, at least 120 bands of Native peoples or First Nations have occupied the Great Lakes region. And there's, uh, I, I think in Minnesota um, or Michigan, there's you know, over 20 different tribes. And each Great Lakes state has a, a large number of tribes. And um, so it is just both embarrassing and mind-boggling that we just know so little. 
and and um, I know that I'm working to learn more. And I think that the story of the water walkers and the 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 affiliation to the Great Lakes and the importance of the Great Lakes as a resource and the importance of water is a beautiful and relatable um, way to bridge the gap. Um, and the story that you told of so many people joining these walks and got to and be and not just to um, um, observe the prayers and but to be part of it and to feel that of that connection. Um, I just think it sounds extraordinary. But the, the, con- the notion that people walk 2,000 miles is phenomenal. That is an incredible belief in the value of it. And, and um, just, I mean, impressive is, is the least of it. Um, so today, you said there still are um, uh, water walkers all around the world. How does one um, join one or support one or learn about them? Where do, where do we hear about them? Well, typically in... In Indian country, um, we we have our networks. We share a lot of it comes through social media, but also through community centers, um, our indigenous community centers, whether we're in urban areas or on our um, tribal lands. It's shared that way. In terms of the general public, um, I think it depends on where the walk will be. So we did a water walk with Grandma Josephina Bunn around Lake Winnebago. And we did that walk specifically because there was a terrible um, hazardous spill. I believe it was 50,000 gallons of manure um, that got spilled into Lake Winnebago. And that is a very historically sacred um, body of water, especially for the Ho-Chunk or Ho-Chungra, our relatives there. Um, and so we did a water walk with Grandma Josephine around that. Once we did that water walk, because towns, as we were walking around that body of water, they really got into it, and it was a brother to nation, which is not a federally recognized tribe, but certainly one that we recognize. They've taken that work on, and every year since we did the initial water walk, they do a water walk around Lake Winnebago, and they do that hard work that Grandma Josephina Bunn really modeled for them in terms of this is how you show how you care and love that water, and this is how we influence others by showing that great example and doing that good spiritual work. Thank you. Um Get back to Grandma Josephine. You had the opportunity to speak with her. What does she mean to you personally? Fortunately, I had more than just the opportunity to speak with her. I got to spend a lot of time with her. I got to be kind of her assistant and caregiver, although she was definitely the boss. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Kind and gentle, but she was determined. In our language, we have an expression called "young guamazin," and it means to be determined, to be careful, and to be resolute. And she was all of those things. Um, she was, and continues to be, because in our teachings, um, she's returned to the spirit world, and we begin in the spirit world. Then we're born. Um, as human beings, and when we give back that breath of last breath of life to the Creator, we go back to our spirit world. So to me, she's always there with me, teaching me, reminding me. Um, but she's an incredible, incredible teacher. I am so very honored to have known her and loved her and helped her and um, been a part of the solution. Uh, to uh, a terrible problem, which is the ongoing abuse of our beautiful, beautiful Nebe, our water, of which gives life to all, especially to those of us who live and reside around the Great Lakes. She had five children, I understand, and quite a few grandchildren. Are they involved? Have you um, been able to, uh, to talk to them and work with them? Um, they are always very, very supportive of Grandma Josephina Bunn. And um, her husband, Andrew, who I call grandfather, is still very much with us. And he would probably be shaking his finger at me now saying, you need to call me, girl, because I, I need to call him. Um, but stay in touch. 
um, very much so. Uh, because of COVID, we have not been able to hold our ceremonies. In fact, this weekend is the first um, ceremony that's happening in Canada um, that I could have gone to but was not able to go to. I had a work obligation here. Um, but COVID really put an impact or impacted, I should say, our spiritual gatherings. And of course, if you remember that's, that expression, young Guam is in, it's to be determined. It is to be careful and it is to be resolute. That's how we approach our water walks. It's how we approach our ceremonies. We aren't going to be foolish and think that the spirit is going to protect us when we're making stupid decisions, right? So it's like, what was what was the safe thing to do during COVID? And we stayed in our community bubbles and we tried to do things really carefully. So that's kind of a long answer to your question. But um, so we have not been able to really gather um, or see her family in person during this time, but they certainly love her and support her. Her grandniece, um, Stephanie Peltier, I mean, she's spoken and given testimony to the UN. She's an amazing young woman. And um, it's just incredible to see all of the Anishinaabe Kwe. That means um, Ojibwe or Anishinaabe women, Ojibwe women, as well as the Ogichida Kwe. And I haven't used that word Ogichida, but it means warrior, warrior women. And uh, it is the, for the spirit. Not necessarily we're going to go out there and pick up guns or weapons. Um, that's not our way. Our way is the power of women, of caring for that water, to know what our responsibilities are, to say those prayers, to be careful and determined and resolute in our caring for that water. Those are all the things that Grandma inspired us to be. You didn't go on too long. It was beautiful. And I I, I wanted to ask a question because um, she isn't sounds as if she was an extraordinary, extraordinary person, and her legacy is so clear. But ultimately, it felt very personal. Um, and 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 sharing the story, and I really appreciate that. Now, Tyler, at the beginning of this show, you said, "Hey, what is the song of the Great Lakes?" And it did stumble me a bit. However, I'm going to say that um, the song um, about um, the the water song, which was a song written, um, gosh, uh, 10 years, a little over 10 years ago or so, was about the, value, the, the importance of the water. Could you talk a little bit about the water song? Absolutely. Um, in fact, when, when Tyler first mentioned that, that is immediately, that's the song that went through my head. It wasn't um, something from dominant culture. I, I immediately, my heart and my mind went to, the Water Song that was written by another beautiful grandmother in our lodge. Her name is Doreen Day. And she wrote that song with her grandson, who um, we affectionately refer to as Mucho. He is an amazing young man. And again, like Grandma Josephina Bond, it's like, what can we do for the water? What can we as just an everyday person without status and all kinds of you know money or grants or corporations behind us? And so they decided to write a song about the water. And the words mean, water, we love you, we, re we thank you, and we respect you. And um, in Ojibwe, I can even sing it for you a little bit if you'd like, um, but we sing that song um, in when we do water ceremony, especially when we're out in the community. In our Medewan Lodge, we have other water songs that we're singing as part of water ceremony. But um, Doreen and her grandson, they wrote, they created the song, wrote it, um, and it is meant to be sung without any kind of instruments, so no, no guitars or drums or even um, shakers, shishinguas that we use when um, we're in ceremony. It is our voice. It is a lullaby to the water. We'd love to hear it if you could share. That'd be great. Away, 
absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Gosh, it is. It is a beautiful song. I sang it with Mama Josephine many times, and as I was singing, I in my mind, I could hear her singing it. it thank you for sharing with us. Uh, it it is um, it is profound and and lovely, and I think it is the song of the Great Lakes, Tyler. Absolutely. Siobhan, uh, you are clearly a warrior woman and um, a person to be honored and respected. And golly, you've shared so much with us. I cannot believe it. It's um, I feel uh, just really honored um, that you shared about um, uh, Josephine uh, Mandaman. And I have to recommend to our readers to go look at the book, The, the Water Walker. It, while it is considered a, a children's book, I think it is inspirational for anyone, and um, it is a kind of per, perhaps a great way to introduce um, some important uh, tribal culture from the Great Lakes to your own family, uh, and and we all can be inspired by by what she did and what she's taught. But Siobhan, if there's anything that you feel um, people should take away from this uh, podcast, what would it be? It would be, we've talked about the power of one. I, I really want to speak to Grandma Josephine Badasage Abun's humility um, to really just remind everyone when we go out there with our good intentions to do this work for Mother Earth or her lifeblood, the water, that we remember that it is, it is for Mother Earth and her lifeblood, the water, our precious Nebe. And to make it about that and not about us. This is a great time of year to reflect on that and perhaps ask to ourselves, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to make it better? Siobhan, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have talked to you. Um, you've given us a lot to think about. I, I myself, um, I think my life has changed a bit from this podcast, and I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for joining us. Miigwech. It was absolutely an honor. This wraps up another episode of North Coast Chronicles, Tales from the Great Lakes. Send me your comments, ideas for future podcasts, or to be a sponsor to North Coast Chronicles at gmail.com. The views of this podcast are mine and do not necessarily reflect the views of the U.S. Department of Transportation. Join us next time in North Coast Chronicles as we visit the coves, channels, and bays of La Mer Douce. Until then, be good to one another. <laughs>